I, I really would like to thank the Financial Times team for the invitation to speak at this, the eighth annual Financial Times Summit on the theme Investing in Africa. Uh, it's been really exciting to listen to some of the brilliant ideas, experiences, plans, and uh, focal areas that uh, the various contributors have placed before us today. And I think this last panel was really exciting of young people, very confident, very able, and clearly in charge of their world. I don't know if uh, the panel was chosen because an old person would speak after them, uh, but I thought they were really uh, excellent, and I, I like the Africa that we've seen at this summit. But I think uh, it would be uh, neglectful of us not to acknowledge that we are living in increasingly uncertain times, and that it is clear that resilience, responsiveness, and creativity are going to be vital tools for survival for the African continent as we proceed into the future. If we don't build this resilient capability, many states on the continent that currently are very fragile uh, will uh, collapse and face very, very troubling problems. The uh, context we're confronted by of uh, a United Nations that is weakened by global developments, of the war uh, in Russia, in, between Russia and Ukraine, uh, very difficult uh, trade conditions, the impact of climate change, and inadequacy of development finance means for many African countries they face a very, very tough set of challenges. And we need to find a way of addressing this. While our deliberations here have really uh, been very exciting, very positive, very forward-looking, we do as a continent have a plethora of problems uh, that we have to attend to and which form part of our reality. We've got really terrible conflict underway in Mozambique, which has caused us to divert resources from many SADC countries to help Mozambique fight that particular extremist incursion. We have a terrible war against civilians unleashed in the Sahel region, with many countries unable to respond to a very serious threat uh, to their local uh, populations. Millions have been displaced. We're speaking of food security. Communities cannot farm. They're going hungry. So there are really troubling problems that are confronting the continent, and we need to be realistic about them and about the need to find solutions. We have uh, millions of young people uh, who have been through school and university and have graduated but with skills that are not relevant to the emerging economy. We've got to think about how we reskill them, how we provide them with new opportunities. We've got to look at how we increase entrepreneurship. Uh, women are severely disadvantaged on our continent and we need to address the matter of gender uh, equality as a very direct intervention uh, 
to change the lives of women and girls. And I think one of the things that we haven't really spoken about, uh, which is the so-called informal economy and its contribution to the African economy, uh, is an area that requires concerted attention from policymakers, from the private sector, and from development finance institutions. I would say that the so-called informal sector, which is very large on the continent and which is primarily women-led, requires serious investment in order for it to transit into small, medium-sized businesses that make a real difference to job creation and to economic growth on the African continent. We can't rely on conglomerates. We've got to look at what we do with these women trading on the street and how we give them infrastructure that converts this informal into a real uh, business. So I'm just saying that uh, while indeed there are many good uh, stories to tell, many, many successes, let's not neglect the complexity because it will be, in addressing it, we will be addressing the large problems that confront our continent. Reference has been made to many of the issues I wanted to uh, speak to this evening. We've spoken about COVID-19 and its impact on what is already a fragile uh, context uh, on uh, the continent. I'm, uh, uh, I was really thrilled that uh, we did manage as Africa to respond to the pandemic with urgency, speed, and focus. Um, the panelists on vaccine production were asked about the three uh, features that supported a response that helped to address what was a really uh, frightening health emergency. One of the things that I thought wasn't mentioned, uh, particularly by our colleague from Aspen Pharmacare, was the role of scientists. For the first time during the COVID emergency, I noted that governments were listening to scientists. And I think the input of scientists made a real difference. There's always been a debate about scientists and policy advice. And during the COVID emergency, we all formed scientific committees that advised governments and that made a real difference to the nature of responses that our governments uh, adopted. So we shouldn't neglect the role of science in the COVID-19 uh, response. We, of course, have to ensure, as the continent that, as colleagues said, we pay attention to public health systems because they were found to be weak despite their ability to assist. I recall us having to build a, an additional ICU beds in car parks because we didn't have enough beds in our public and private hospitals. We also formed a really excellent cooperation between the very wealthy private health sector and the public health sector. And that was good cooperation which gave us uh, the ability to respond uh, to the problem. We converted uh, some of the automotive sector, requested them to begin producing 
ventilators and they did so and that assisted us to have the number of ventilators uh, that we need. And the one thanks to President Trump, he did give us a thousand ventilators when we asked for 100,000. Um, but we, we, we did get them, nevertheless. Um, I, I really want to uh, spend a little bit of time talking about the African Continental Free Trade Area Agreement, because I think it's an important development uh, for the African continent. The agreement is one of the uh, priority areas that are spelt out in Agenda 2063, which sets out the key priority areas that Africa uh, must act on in order to achieve the development outcomes it desires in a 50-year period. So Agenda 2063, the Africa we want, has the free trade area agreement as one of the key instruments that Africa needs uh, to act on. We believe that the AFCFTA has the potential, if properly implemented, to permanently transform the socio-economic landscape of Africa by boosting intra-African trade, which is currently really, really negligible. Only 16% of trade in Africa is intra-African trade. 74% is trade with the outside world. So we need to ensure that we increase Africa's share of world trade, uh, which is really also at a very low level. We also believe that the agreement will give us economic integration, will support, as I said this morning, industrialization and manufacturing, because if you want to have intra-African trade, you can't produce your goods in Korea or China you have to produce in Africa. So the whole issue of rules of origin is very, very important. And of course, it's going to be incremental. You may begin with a proportion of the product being produced on the continent and then move uh, in phases to full uh, uh, manufacturing uh, capability. But if we don't attend to the key area of industrialization and manufacturing, then intra-African trade is actually uh, not something that we're taking uh, seriously. We also must look at uh, improving regional value chains. So for example, for uh, intra-African trade to succeed in Southern Africa, South Africa has to be ready to give up some of its capabilities to countries in the SADC region. Because if you don't have regional value chains, intra-African or intra-regional trade is actually a misnomer. So we are looking at what form of industrial and manufacturing capacity we should share with Lesotho, Swaziland, Namibia, and other countries in the SADC region. How do we uh, collaborate in different sectors, either to ensure uh, collaborative manufacturing or releasing a sector to entire production in one of the uh, SADC countries. So for a free trade area agreement to succeed, there are things that you have to give up. And if you are selfish, if you only focus on the sovereign interest, a free trade area agreement uh, cannot uh, work. We also need to look at creating economies of scale 
which will allow us uh, to compete in the global uh, marketplace. Well, as uh, the African Union and broadly as uh, trade unions, private sector and other stakeholders on the continent, we've been discussing uh, the AFCFTA for some time. And we regard it as a possible game changer for our investment landscape. We have created, once this is fully implemented, the largest free trade area in the world connecting 1.3 billion people with a combined GDP, we believe, of around 3.3 trillion US dollars. We have currently 50 million, 650 million consumers, and we'll have a significant African middle class, we believe, by 2030. All of these are the features that really will be of benefit to the African free trade area. We also believe uh, internet connectivity is going to be a very important part of the developments associated with the continental free trade area. I learned uh, from a McKinsey report that we already have 90,000 new users connecting to the internet in Africa every day. So yes, there are inadequacies, but fantastic growth in this area. What we hope will happen is that we'll reduce tariff and non-tariff trade barriers, which have been a hindrance to intra-African trade for many years. We also will provide through framing, uh, regulatory frameworks, legal certainty for traders and for investors. It is our intention to capitalize on the opportunities created by the agreement to address challenges of high youth unemployment, of poverty and of inequality. We really want to prioritize the speedy rollout of critical infrastructure, as well as logistics and transportation uh, networks. You heard President Shisekedi saying this on the continent to optimize the benefits of the AFCFTA. I note from uh, this clock that I've run out of time, um, so I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. Um, we have, uh, you know, been working. I heard one of the colleagues in the panel saying that not much has been done, suggesting it's pie in the sky. Well, I want to assure you that our ministers of finance and of trade and industry have been working very hard at addressing the key elements of the agreement, particularly focused on goods and services. In phase one of our negotiations, we have included rules on investment, rules on intellectual property rights. We also have developed a digital trade and competition policy. The agreement has focused on the autos implementation plan, which sets out key immediate, mid-term and long-term activities which we we'll believe will help to develop an inclusive African automotive value chain. We have a draft continental strategy for the African automotive manufacturing sector, which outlines the elements for the expansion and development of the African automotive manufacturing sector. So what we've been discussing is South Africa for a long time 
has had an automotive sector. Nigeria is developing one, Kenya as well. How do we share expertise? How do we share manufacturing capability in the context of a free trade area? And we've gone a long way in the deliberations on what we do with respect to components, producers, assemblers, and other aspects of the automotive manufacturing uh, value chain. I, I want to conclude by saying that our continent is a continent of great promise. And the continental free trade area has reinvigorated the continent as it has provided us with a basis for really reimagining how we frame our economies and how we frame interaction between ourselves as importers and exporters on the African continent. Of course, there are many obstacles uh, that are still to be overcome, but I'm very pleased at the work that is underway. I want to uh, conclude by just highlighting some of the areas that I think need specific attention if we are to truly address some of the problems that confront our continent. I believe that there are a number of areas in which there are investment opportunities, uh, areas that we still haven't really touched upon. I mentioned one this morning, that is research development and innovation. I think this is a really critical area. I can imagine having 10,000 centers of excellence on the continent, 100,000 PhDs, which is what we still need to get on the continent. So if we could develop research and innovation, we'd go a long way. And it's a huge investment opportunity. I also think that we should address the matter of quality education at all levels, and particularly investing in developing high quality universities that have a research competence. Too few universities on the African continent feature in the research profiles of the world. So if you're running a really good university, we need you to partner with an African university to increase its research productivity, to ensure that it's focused on innovation, to ensure that it has a clear understanding of intellectual property development and understands how you manage patent from research. If we can achieve all of that, we place the African continent on a very different space. We also, of course, need carpenters, painters, and tilers. So the vocational education uh, and technical sector, absolutely critical for development. I think we must also uh, look at global issues and not neglect them as Africa. There are a number that impact on our continent. Firstly, we have to attend to UN reform. We cannot have the UN Security Council as it is today. We must change it fundamentally. We must also ensure that on the continent we entrench democracy, good governance, that we have instruments that combat corruption effectively, and that we build the ability to have competent, efficient, and service-oriented public servants. One of our biggest problems is we have public servants who are more interested in themselves 
than in the people that they should serve. And thus we need to build capacity in service to the people. We also must address toxic issues such as uh, ethnicity, which is chauvinistic, and highlights or promotes nationalist ideals that uh, detract from building diverse, united uh, societies and often gives rise to toxic masculinity. We must also address gender equality. Women are not empowered in many of our countries. In my own country, women suffer severely from violence against women, and uh, we have to address all uh, these uh, prohibitions to the advancement of women. And we should also ensure that youth are supported to fully develop their abilities. I also believe that one of the things we should attend to, which we haven't really made reference to much in the summit, is external interference in African affairs. The, the notion uh, that the only uh, evil in promoting conflict on Africa is that Wagner group is actually a historic lie. There are many, many external actors on the African continent whose sole interest is the control of the resources of Africa. And we need to acknowledge this and be public about it. It is, yes, mercenary groups, but there are also governments that play a very negative role that are always present when there's conflict and whose role has not served to advance the African continent. So I think we need a realistic acknowledgement of all who interfere in the development and progress of Africa. If we do that, I believe we'll create a landscape rich for investment and rich for the development and success of the African continent. And now, I think you can go and enjoy your cocktail. Thank you very much.